Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You may have heard uh, either on social media or through various news reports about uh, Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey. She is the, uh, or was, the vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University who died by suicide earlier this month. Um, what has happened in this situation is that Dr. Bailey was working at Lincoln University in that role as the vice president of student affairs. And uh, she was having some difficulty with the president of the university, a man named uh, John Mosley, who actually was uh, prior to being the president of the institution, he was the men's basketball coach uh, and also worked as the athletic director there. And uh, Lincoln University is not the Lincoln University that we know here in Pennsylvania. This is the one in Missouri that was founded in 1866 as a land-grant university. And some of its more prominent alumni have been uh, Julius Hemphill, the jazz musician, and also Joe Torrey, the comedian. Uh, and uh, this situation has been very, very devastating for many people. Uh, none more than her friends and family and some of her sisters in academia. And we have Dr. Andrea Boyles here today. She is the Associate Professor of Sociology and African Studies at Tulane University, uh, also a sociologist, a criminologist, and an author who's going to share with us uh, some of her thoughts about the loss of a woman who was a colleague and a friend. So first of all, Dr. Boyles, thank you for being here today. And also, I want to uh, say so very sorry for your loss. Thank you, Tanya. I appreciate you having me on um, and I appreciate your sentiments. And also, I would like to extend um, condolences even more so to the family of um, Dr. Candia Bailey or Bonnie, as we know her, um, her husband, her mom and um, extended loved ones and also to her sorority sisters. Uh, the Alpha Iota chapter, particularly of AKA um, Alpha Kappa Alpha at Lincoln University. And I know that you attended her funeral um, recently, and that had to be a just awful experience because uh, Dr. Uh, Bailey was 49 years old, and this is just devastating um, to see that there was a woman who was in this much distress that uh, the solution was to end her life. And we know that she put a letter out um, that was addressed to Dr. Mosley, the president of Lincoln University, who is now on leave pending uh, an investigation into this. And she basically really expressed that she was being harassed and bullied. Uh, ultimately, she was fired on January 3rd. This was days before her death. And much of the letter uh, is her contending with some of these issues. And, and it's a lengthy letter and there are a lot of various issues. But the bottom line is that she expressed to the administration of the university that she was struggling with some mental health issues. And it seems as though uh, she just was ignored and that her her after writing this letter, uh, she felt that she was at the end of the road for her. Yes. Um, and let me say her funeral um, was two things, um, at least that I identify. One, certainly a celebration of life. Mm. Um, Bonnie 
was an amazing person. Um, she did so much above and beyond um, to help all those around us um, and um, around her more specifically. And I think that that is very telling, even in the letter that she left. Um, she continued all the way to the very end because that's who she was um, in terms of offering suggestions, offering direction, you know, in various ways so that people could be better. Um, and so we celebrated her life. But then also it was a call to action, a clear call to action one after the other uh, from one person to the next, um, because it cannot be that we live in a world where women, black women, particularly um, such as Bonnie and anybody for that matter, but more specifically black women, African-American women such as Bonnie to have accomplished so much to have worked so hard and to um, be such a blessing in more ways than one and to always be of such to where they're trying to see about people and care about people um, and work in the best interest of people and then to somehow um, um, succumb to the worst of circumstances um, um, all the way up to the point of death. And so that cannot happen. And so certainly calls of actions were appropriate um, and so moving forward, we will certainly um, be honoring um, many of the suggestions that Bonnie put forth. Um, Dr. Candia Bailey um, mentions in terms of taking mental health serious and a whole list of other things. And so, yes, um, um, it is in that space um, that I'm very glad that I was able to be present, um, but then also very saddened. Um, that it, we had to come together under those circumstances. And her life and death will certainly not be in vain. And so we will work continuously in that stead. And even more poignantly, she was an alumni of Lincoln University. Um, and so the fact that this is how things ended um, is just even that much more sad. And, you know, Dr. Bailey was a vice president of student affairs there, but she was also the vice president of student affairs and a chief diversity officer and Title IX coordinator at Elms College in Chicopee, Massachusetts, and held administrative positions at the University of Wisconsin-Madison at Towson University at North Carolina. Carolina A&T State University and North Carolina State University. And at the end of the day, uh, it, it appears that her fate at this uh, position that she last held was someone who had transitioned from the athletic department uh, over to becoming president of the university, which just by itself seems as though there was a vast difference in uh, their uh, background and training. And yet it is Dr. Uh, Candia Bailey who ultimately uh, made the ultimate sacrifice in this case. You know, to be frank, there are so many layers to this um, that are yet to be uncovered and unpacked even well beyond what um, Dr. Candia Bailey outlined in her letter. Um, and so we can anticipate that happening in the days ahead. Um, but what I will tell you is that for Black women, um, it is more than a notion. I cannot express the level of, um, uh, in the depths of toil and turmoil and conflict and stress and strain that we work tirelessly in order to not only enter the academy and matriculate at different levels, different degree levels, but to do that and do that 
uh, well into the profession, which again calls for a whole other kind of climb um, that Dr. Bailey talked about, Candia Bailey talked about even in her dissertation. And it is, it, it, and I think that it is often, um, you know, it goes on deaf ears. It lands on deaf ears. It's a loss, the degree to which we work at that, right? In um, behind the scene that people comparably, white people, particularly white men, especially do not have to contend with. And so, you know, um, and, and so it really is, it, it takes every aspect of you. Your entire existence is called to task. The ways in which you are assessed, the ways in which you are judged, the ways in which you have to almost be perfect on some level or another just to get a shot, you know, just to get in, just to break through. And then the climb once you're in. And so we can really, you know, this, this Tanya, you know, as you know, this makes for a, a, a much broader conversation well beyond you know, the work and the ways in which Dr. Candia Bailey climbed, you know, um, in academia, it certainly um, is a conversation and well worth unpacking all these different dynamics and what they mean for Black women, particularly well, even beyond the academy. Um, we're not even accounting for the personal circumstances, right? We're not just professional women. We have personal dynamics and a whole host of things that never give way enough to the point where we can even take rest, right? where we can rightfully rest, where we can rightfully be human in some, in, in many respects. And so while, again, this is a conversation that certainly circles and, you know, and targets and zeroes in on things that transpired at Lincoln, I think that for Dr. Candia Bailey um, and for the rest of us, it is a much broader conversation, which is why she certainly interviewed and did her dissertation work around that angle and, and, and interviewed women um, across places um, to make these points clear. And so we will carry that message forward, at least for me. I think that there's a wealth of education that is certainly needed um, to avoid and prevent and literally stop people for taking Black women and Black women's labor for granted. We deal with wage um, disparity, um, inequity. Um, that makes for a whole other conversation. And so, yes, we can run a gamut on a number of things, but it is certainly, it is certainly very clear when we do a side-by-side -side comparison of what Dr. Candia Bailey's qualifications looked like versus uh, what, it, which is often the case, um, comparably to what other people's qualifications look like and what they face in that regard comparably is certainly um, more often than not by trend and history um, inequitable um, and disparaging. Right. And I mean, you know, we had this conversation, we had uh, a lengthy conversation about how um, we wanted to talk about this because there are some things that are very specific to her situation. Um, and then there are other things, as you were saying, that are very much so the experience that Black women have, not even just in academia, but across workplaces and in, a, and in our lives. But I do want to say, um, because I want people to know that these are the reasons why they are saying that she was terminated, because I think there's there are things that you can parse out of this. There were allegations of insubordination 
in allowing an ineligible student to work, allowing ineligible students to obtain a discounted housing rate, and failing to adhere to confidentiality requirements in a grievance matter filed by two of her subordinates. So even in that, I think if you read between the lines of that and you take that with the letter that she provided where she um, she had some very specific examples of the way that she was treated and things that were going on in this university's administration uh, that make you wonder, one, obviously she felt isolated and obviously felt that she had nowhere to turn. But the other thing is that, um, and this struck me and I, I mentioned to you, there were two things. One, that she said that she was always available. And in fact, she says that in her letter, she was asked to schedule send so that she wasn't sending emails to people when they were not working. Uh, that really stood out for me because I think for many of us as African-American women, we do feel like we always have to be available all the time, 24 hours to everybody in our work and personal lives. And I think that that is just not sustainable. Yes. And so let me say this, um, even with the things outlined for why she um, you know, may have been terminated. Those things are certainly going to ring clear mm -hmm. in the days ahead. Um, but she also, I want to make clear, she also outlined comparably, um, you know, inadequacies for other um, employees, co-workers mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the like, most of which were men um, that did not um, reportedly um, face similar sanctions or, you know, um, fallout, so to speak. Um, but then also, so she went on to also express um, needing assistance in, you know, in different ways. Um, one of which more important than them all would have been with mental illness. Right. Um, and so she was very clear in saying that she needed direction, instruction, um, reaching out to folks where there may be, you know, where she may have fallen short, in, you know, but also health wise and um, her stating um, and again, these things will be, you know, um, become clear. Um, you know, I, I, I am certain of it in the days ahead, but she's clear about not receiving what she needed um, in any of those areas. Um, and so um, the last thing is that when you speak about her being on is what I like to sort of think about it as 24 seven, right? That despite the fact that there are these, uh, you know, implications that somehow she fell short somewhere in a particular way in her job, you know, or expectations, or the fact that um, she asked for assistance or needed some particular assistance or didn't get what she need, at least enough to where she felt she could successfully move forward um, in occupation or mentally even, that that did not change the fact that she stayed 24 seven right. in trying to work at it all. And so that in and of itself becomes the story of, yes, Dr. Candia Bailey, that despite all odds and all obstacles, um, which was huge, again, going back to even her research, that she stayed the course at least as best as she could with what she had, trying to assist, trying to make up the difference, trying to make things come together in a way that didn't, on many fronts, work in her best interest. And so what I would say is that she did that as a person who had overwhelming love for Lincoln University. Mm -hmm. She ended her letter with saying, you know, Blue Tiger Pride, you know, because that 
who Bonnie was. Bonnie loved Lincoln as an alumni. In fact, we all do. I am an alumni, you know, for the sake of transparency. And so we have a small, very close mm-hmm. community where we really and truly love our university. And she did all of that against us. And she did all of that, despite the fact that she needed so much in return and reportedly didn't get it. That is also the story of many Black women. We work tirelessly from one extreme to the other, from the home front to the workplace, right? On so many levels. And we do it because we feel incredibly obligated, because we have been socialized as Black women that the expectation is that we are strong, right? Mm -hmm. And what I have told folks is let's stop using that, you know, that trope of strong Black woman. A lot of times we ourselves use it because we have been led to believe that that's a compliment. It is not. It gives way to this notion that somehow we should expect a pile on and that we don't have an opportunity to fail, that there's no space for us to be less than perfect, that there is no space where we can take rest, that except every single I is dotted and every T is crossed at every waking turn, that there is something incredibly, horribly wrong about us Black women, us African-American women. We deal with layers in which in our everyday life, where we are constantly marginalized, where we're constantly feeling, um, in many respects, the scope, so to speak. We're feeling, um, you know, assessed. Um, from one extreme to another. And so we are forced and pressured directly and indirectly to buy into that pressure. And so, yes, we do things like we take lead on so many things. And yes, we do things where we um, are, you know, certainly supervising or we're, we're, you know, taking charge. In fact, we are the leaders of the progressive movement, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do that in a home. We do that politically. We do that across all types of spaces. But we do it so well, Tanya, until people think that we are magical. We say things, right? right? Like black girl magic. Right. We say that, but we say that and people don't have context for what that means. They are unable to break that down and understand that when we say it, in some respect, it is meant for empowerment. But people literally watch the way in which we work. And because we are so on all the time and because much of what we do, we do it so well that they interpret it as if we are supernatural. We are not. We do what we do because we have to. We do what we do because we have been socialized to make up the difference for our community, to make up the difference in our home, either through other mothering and community other mothering. And we nurture in the process. And so that takes so much out of us that people um, comparably are not having to do are not called to task to do, are not expected to do, and are not devalued while doing it. And so, um, and, and so, there's there's so much again um, to talk about the layers in which we have always had to contend with these, you know, um, kind of um, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of dilemmas. Um, and yet, um, Bonnie's story um, is one of countless stories. Um, hers by far would be one of the most egregious because, again, it shows that even in all that we have accomplished, there is this pressure, right, that we have to stay on and on so much so until we can't even be human enough to say, um, you know, to get the assistance that we need, right. um, you know, um, at least to where we feel healed, where we feel whole, where we feel safe and where the outlet in her case was to um, to unfortunately leave. But I will say this, even in her leaving, 
she took control of the narrative. Mm. She empowered, and because that's what I do. I comb through um, and I pull out themes um, from everything. And what I see, um, you know, as a friend, um, but also as a researcher and educator, is that she took control of the narrative. Um, that was her pushback. Um, that was that was the fight um, that she took charge of in many respects. She controlled what the end game would be. Right. Um, and so it is in that respect um, that we see um, black resistance and various calls of actions taking place. And I'm certainly going to be tuned in um, from different angles um, and moving forward, at least for me, will be one of continuing um, education. Um, and, you know, um, and, and analyzing and thinking about ways in which we can work to make sure this never happens again. And definitely one of her messages in her letter was uh, to say, if you are in a toxic situation in your personal life and your professional professional life, don't stay. And I think that that will have to be uh, her enduring message and the one that she most wanted people to understand that. Um, it is not good. And, 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 and certainly after asking for help and being uh, treated in a way that uh, you could only describe as callous uh, at a university at that, at an HBCU at that, um, that her message was do not do not stay in a toxic situation. And it, it is really just so sad that we have to be here discussing someone who had so much to give and had given uh, so much to education and to her alma mater and to have it all end up this tragically is just uh, just too just too sad. Um, but I certainly want to express again, if you're in a bad situation, that seemed to be that was her message to not stay in one. And uh, Dr. Uh, Boyles, we just don't have enough time um, to, in order to continue this discussion any further. But you are always welcome back to Reality Check, Dr. Andrea Boyles. Uh, the Associate Professor of Sociology and African Studies at Tulane University. And again, uh, expressing my condolences to you, to her family and loved ones on uh, the passing of Dr. Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey. Um, thank you so much for coming on and uh, uh, paying homage to her and her life and her contributions. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.